Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Bench with Carter Eckel. This is episode 69. I am your host, Carter E., joined as always by my producer, Jeff Mulvihill Jr. of InstaImage.com. Jeff, we've actually had some uh, athletic events going on in the last week. We, the rain has cleared for now. Um, we are recording this Tuesday morning. I think there might be snow in the forecast today, but, you know, for now, everything is dry for the most part. Cody Far North at Carson High assured me there would be no snow today. Okay. Well, I know who to, who to blame then. I am te- I'm sending him a photo and a video as soon as it starts. <laughs> yeah, looking up into the mountains, it's dark. So it's, uh, it's I guess, guess we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, but before we go any further, I would like to thank today's title sponsor in uh, – Play It Again Sports. Play It Again Sports is the best place to go for all your new and gently used sporting equipment needs. They can be located in the Topsy Lane Shopping Center and check them out today uh, in the Topsy Lane Shopping Center or online at www.playitagainsports.com. That link is also in the description as well if you want to just click your way there. Obviously, we're going to start on some uh, high school sports and what we've got in in the last, uh, last few days, especially um, then real briefly, I'm going to just dive into a feature story I have in Wednesday's paper. And I feel like kind of closing with a little bit of the World Baseball Classic. There was a semifinal between Japan and Mexico yesterday. Um, like I said, as we tape this Tuesday morning, uh, the final between Japan and the U.S. is today at 3.30. So Tuesday at 3.30. Um, for those of you who might be listening to this in the, the wee infancy of it being posted, um, but we will get to get to that there because that World Baseball Classic semifinal yesterday between Japan and Mexico was a thriller. So um, definitely something uh, to keep an eye on and, and some names to keep an eye on because there will be some guys coming over to Major League Baseball, if not soon in the next few years. So um, definitely a, a cool, cool thing to look at there. And you can kind of see just how much it means to some of those countries out there. But I'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, first, we'll start on the Douglas side of things, where softball went for a 2-0 sweep over Bishop Minogue at home over the weekend. They outscored the Miners 26-1 to in the two-game sweep there. Um, really, you're, excuse me again, seeing just how dominant that pitching staff can be. Uh, in game one, Mackenzie Willis had 12 strikeouts and gave up two hits in five innings of work there. Game two, Talia Trenton was just a similarly dominant allowing one hit and striking out nine and giving up the one one earned run of the two games there. So obviously in the circle, a uh, very impressive performance from from both of them, something that I don't think any Tiger fans will be uh, shy about noticing this year. That is that is definitely definitely something everybody's looking for. Uh, of course, Lillian Lee is uh, back and belting at the plate. She had a three-run homer in game one and followed that with a Another homer in game two, adding in three RBIs. So she's already got three homers in nine games so far this season there. Uh, Dakota Till and Maddie Gooch both had multi-hit performances in the first win. Uh, Till knocked in three runs of her own also. Then in game two, I know I said Tretton was uh, dominant in the circle. She also hit two homers. So... That is something to keep in, <laughs> something to keep keep watching there. Um, and then, of course, Maddie Gooch was three for four with an RBI, and Mercedes Covey also had a pair of hits 
Um, Douglas is now six and three so far this season with a couple of those losses, obviously coming down in Arizona, get some really good squads down there. Uh, Douglas baseball has been out in Southern California. They fell to Fullerton and San Clemente uh, by finals of 16 to four and 10 to three. Uh, they ended up beating Trabuco Hills, I believe is how you pronounce that, two to one uh, in a game sandwich in the middle. Um, two Tiger pitchers combined to allow just four hits in that win over Trabuco Hills between Caden McIver and Keegan Snooks. I think those are kind of, from talking to Douglas head coach Ryan Gonzalez, friend of the pod, um, two guys that are basically year one, two for Douglas pitching staff this year. And then they're kind of kind of figuring out where where guys will be in the the back end of that rotation. I know they've got some guys dealing with arm injuries as well, so they've that's something they have to have to kind of you know just work around. That's just how how sports works. Uh, sometimes you know injuries happen, and just the way it goes. Um, in that San Clemente loss, Aaron Moss had a pair of hits, um, and Jackson Davis. Uh, added a single to his stat line as well. Douglas baseball will be back at home this Saturday at Galena. Uh, I say everything basically pending weather, given the way the spring has gone, but I believe they have two more games. I think they lost to La Mirada last night, nine to four. I haven't had a chance to look into the stats there yet, but I think they play one more game in Southern California today as in Tuesday, and then uh, make the, make the trip back there. We also had swimming and diving and track and field results. Uh, I won't run through everything that's going to be in the paper because it'll be a mouthful, but uh, it was Carson and Douglas at Carson High this past weekend. Um, For those of you who missed it, much like myself, don't worry, there's another Carson League meet coming this Saturday. Uh, So you'll you'll see me out there taking taking photos and whatnot, Um, but some some really good things to watch for both squads. They were both first and second in the uh, team standings with Carson taking first on both the boys and girls side and then Douglas taking second on the boys and girls side. Um, maybe not too surprising for the Carson girls, given they're coming off a state title in cross country. And while cross country is only, you know, six runners at, at most, or maybe eight when you count in some alternates, um, you know, you know, the Senator girls track team is going to have those distance distance races covered. And that's what they did. I believe they were the top four finishers in the 3,200 on both the boys and the girls side. So pretty impressive there. Now, granted, this meet's only got a couple schools at it. But, um, yeah, very, very impressive to see just that many kids at the top. Of course, Douglas has some some solid results as well. They returned two throwers in Megan Strand and uh, Sophie uh, Marshute, who both uh, alternated winning in the discus in the shot put um obviously i don't think that was intentional it seems i think that was kind of how it lined up last year that uh strand was a little bit better at throwing the shot put while uh marshoot was a little bit better at throwing the discus um and it looks like we've got some some pole vaulters coming back as well with some some talent i mean nobody's clearing nearly 16 feet like kai miller but there are some some younger kids uh stella white started her sophomore season for the the girls clearing a mark of eight feet which I believe was like two feet better than the next best result um, for for Douglas or for anybody there. Uh, and then on the Carson side of things as well, I believe they had a boys pole vaulter here. I'm just trying to find it in my notes real quickly where uh, Junior Maddox Sweet won the pole vault after clearing nine feet six inches, setting a new personal best there. So 
Um, some fun stuff to watch on the track and field side. Like I said, a lot more coverage coming this weekend. But, of course, these results are, by the time you're listening to this, will be online uh, at NevadaPeel.com and RecordCourier.com as well. Also have some swimming results from Douglas. There were not any posted from, from Carson just yet um, by Monday afternoon. Uh, Douglas fell to Bishop Minogue on the girls' side of things, 158 to 127 there. Uh, they did have a couple wins. Kira Duffy was the winner on the girls' side in the 100-meter freestyle, um, and they also won the 200-meter relay between uh, Duffy, Gracie Goss, Sweet Pea Vieria, and Cami Jowries. Apologies if I mispronounce any of those names. Some of them are the first time I'm seeing them, so I'll make sure to get those right here as we, we go through the season. Um, but some good stuff to see so far, honestly. I think everybody's just glad to be out out and about. Um, you and I were both at Carson Softball yesterday. They fell 18-4 to to Spanish Springs, but, I mean, from talking to head coach Scott Vickery, that's their third or fourth time on the dirt this yeah. spring, so... Uh, I mean, you do. You definitely see some of that in their play. It's just, just clearly, you don't have a lot of live ball action. You can take so much BP and so many grounders and so many pop flies, but until it's live pitching and the ball kind of skews in its own different way because it's you know hit a little differently than a coach would hit in practice, and you're taking a whole new route. So they did did show some pop at the plate though. Uh, Corin Duran hit a. Solo homer as well as a loud single um, in the third or fourth inning, I believe. And then Sophia Morrison came back in the fifth and hit a solo homer as well um, for Carson there. I know they're they're still trying to figure out some stuff in the field, right? They've got some they're, – they're young too, so something to keep an eye on there. And, uh, yeah, that Spanish Springs team is good. They've got a new pitcher who's a freshman who is, who is dealing pretty – Pretty nicely there is kind of the, the saying goes with Spanish Springs, you know, just when you think they've graduated somebody, they just reload with a whole new class of talent. So um, Spanish Springs is, I know, a team to team to watch there on the softball side of things. I should before I forget, Keely Franco also had a pair of hits for the Senators as well, including a, a two run double in the bottom of the second inning there. So. Uh, Carson softball is now 0-3 this season. And from talking to Vickery postgame, it sounds like they're trying to get that offense a little more, a little more ramped up and just kind of into into live live situations where they know they're going to need need some more run support than maybe they've had in years past. So, just another another day in, in the softball life, I guess. And uh, we will we will move forward from there. Um, Jeff, I'm curious what you've seen so far and just like what your initial takeaways are from, you know, you see the Carson baseball team practicing on the turf infield while tracks running around instead of on their field. You hear Carson baseball or Carson softball. It's only had three days in the spring. I mean, I guess how long, how long do you think it it is until, until teams feel like they're, they're confident out, out in the, out in the live, the live setting? I I, I don't know that it's going to happen. I mean, we re- we are realistically looking at what five more weeks and we're done. I guess roughly, yeah. And and I mean, the field looked good yesterday. the The softball field looked okay yesterday. Um, so you know, hopefully they're out there more. But if we get snow today, that just keeps pushing the stuff back, and it's super frustrating. 
I was so happy to get out yesterday. It was a nice day yesterday too. Yeah. And it, you know, the wind never came up to be too much of an issue. And cause you and I have both been out there when the wind is blowing a thousand miles an hour. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. Um, the, the baseball team has been playing a fair number of games on turf. Mm-hmm. So for them to be taking infield on the turf is, you know, it's preparation for what might happen the rest of the week. So they're trying to make up their games at Golden Eagle, or I guess I don't know if they're making up any games that don't involve Minogue at Minogue. <clears throat> but you know, they played one game at Piccoli. They mm-hmm. played, you know, and that's normally, you know, this the the region championship is at Piccoli, not some league game in the middle of the you know at the beginning of the season. So um, a nice opportunity for them to play there, but. You know, being a necessity because it's an available field that's an hour away from home it's not not ideal yeah so our regional baseball softball tournaments all start may 8th so yeah. probably six weeks instead of five but yeah, yeah you're pretty pretty spot on there um just wanted to wanted to make sure to that's, clarify that but yeah it's, it's tough it's it's gonna be it's been a slow start to the year and um yeah it's gonna gonna ramp up quickly and as will always be a discussion on the baseball side of things, just how much pitching do you have when you have games smashed together because you're just trying to get in league games at the, the end of the season just to hit the the 16 marker, where, whatever that number is this year. When it doesn't, softball, you know, the, the dynamics of the pitch are a lot more forgiving than they are. So doubleheader is not a big deal, and the same pitcher may pitch both games and, you know, it sounds like Douglas is a one-two punch with their pitching, but with baseball, it doesn't do anybody any good to play five games in a row. I mean, the, both all the teams are playing the same, so it's all just going to be bad baseball by the time you get to that game after game after game because nobody's got that kind of depth. Maybe Reno, maybe Minogue, but it, it just turns into bad baseball. And nobody's having fun or enjoying it, so I'm, I hope that doesn't happen. So I hope this... You know, get it out today and be done with it and move on and dry up and be normal. Yeah, the better, as you're, you're saying, the better things are spaced out. Like, I think the better overall product will be, especially when you have the pitch count limits and how just how crucial pitching can be, um, especially as you see with uh, some of these teams we've seen in the past few years where, you know, you may have a, a solid starter or two, but you get down to those three, four guys because you're playing your fourth or fifth game. And you, you know you you don't have you don't even have the option to go to your top three or four guys because they've all hit their pitch count limit, and so you're forced to just kind of make do and get four outs at a time. And when it drags out the game mm-hmm. because you're switching pitchers every inning or whatever you're doing, and it just it, I mean these are the reasons why Major League Baseball has a has a timer a timer for the pitchers now. I mean get, let's get on with it. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Well. Speaking of baseball, but not uh, not bad baseball by any means, this Japan-Mexico game from the uh, World Baseball Classic semifinal uh, last night was incredible. I believe the final will be on FS1, much like the rest of uh, these games have been. But Japan won 6-5. Mexico led pretty much the entire way. They were up 3-0 after a, a Luis Urias home run in the third inning, or excuse me, in the fourth inning. However, in the bottom of the seventh, Japan got a home run from uh, Masataka Yoshida, who just signed with the Red Sox this offseason. And uh, he wrapped a three-run homer around the right field pole to tie it up. 
Mexico responded with two runs in the top of the eighth, so they went right back up 5-3 after that happened. Um, Japan went small ball in the bottom of the eighth, got a run back, so 5-4, uh, held, held Mexico scoreless in the top of the ninth, and then, of course, <laughs> brought up uh, your two, three, four hitters in the bottom of the ninth. And, uh, excuse me, your three, four, five. Uh, Otani led things off. Everybody knows Shohei Otani now. Uh, he led off with a double off the wall. So he's on second base. Um, they then walked um, They walked Yoshida and brought in a pinch runner for him. And then, uh, let's see how I pronounce this name. I believe it is Munataka Murakami, or as they call him, the Japanese Babe Ruth, uh, ended up launching a two-run double off the left center field wall to win it in the bottom of the ninth walk-off style. I, I, that That's like some kind of crazy karma. The gods are all the stars and gods and everything aligned just to get that kind of a timing at the bottom of the ninth. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the part of the order of Japan's lineup. Not that there's really any safe part of the order in Japan's lineup, but... Uh, you don't want to be facing three, four, five against against this team. Uh, we've all seen what Otani can do. I mean, he's already won an MVP. Masataki Yoshida um, just came over, as I said, but signed, I think, roughly a ninety million dollar contract with the Red Sox this offseason. So, will be very fun to watch in in their outfield. Um, and then you've got, um, you know, uh, let's see, I always mess up his first name, Munitaka Murakami, who's won two MVPs in. Uh, the NPB over in Japan, and he's not even 23 yet. So they expect him to come over soon. And then Japan's starter, Roki Sasaki, threw 20 fastballs in the first, like, two innings uh, yesterday. Can you guess what his average velocity was on those 20 fastballs? Keep in mind this kid's, like, 20 years old. Yeah, he was the starter. He's got to be... What, high 90s or something? Average velocity of the 20 fastballs, 100.5 miles Holy an hour. It's, he th- he re- was recorded throwing a pitch 101 when he was 17 years old, and they have basically put him as the... Uh, there. There's a lot of talk to say he's a better pitcher than Shohei Otani is. He just doesn't hit. He's not a two-way player. Right. So, Roki Sasaki uh, didn't actually have his best outing. Obviously, got tagged for those three runs. Uh, on the homer, but um, a really cool story of something I was listening to before his start yesterday. He actually lost his dad and two grandparents in the tsunami in the earthquake when he was nine years old and has just continued to pitch remarkably since then. Um, the reason some of these guys are not over in the, the Major League Baseball yet is uh, due to Major League Baseball's collective bargaining agreement. If International free agents are under or 25 or under teams are only limited to their to spend their international signing pool money, which at the most is like eight million dollars. So Otani, when he first came over, said, screw it, I don't care. Pay me the three million dollars. I'll be fine. Um, And now he's, you know, in line to make probably five hundred million dollars this offseason. So maybe some of these guys will come over before they turn 25, 26. But. Um, you know, Yoshida, who just signed with the the Red Sox, is 26 or 27, I believe, and so had to wait until he was eligible. So that's why you don't see uh, some of these international free agents come over quite as young um, as they could. But um, 
a, I think it's pretty safe to say that the the NPB is the second best baseball league behind, obviously, Major League Baseball. And man, it, it is shown. And here's the craziest stat I think of all of them for you. Um, I've been learning more about TV ratings. So, or there's different types of TV ratings, I should say. In Japan, it's got a TV rating of 50. These the world Japan's World Baseball Classic games, which means 50% of the households in Japan are tuning in for these World Baseball Classic games. The Super Bowl does not even draw 50% of U.S. viewers. Yeah. It's like 43. So if you want to talk about just how big that is, uh, 50% of homes with a TV in Japan are watching these World Baseball Classic games. And that's in a country of, I think I looked it up yesterday, of roughly 126 million people. So... Uh, pretty remarkable just how much it means to them. Uh, you almost never see Otani celebrate, and when he hit that double, he's standing on second, oh, just yeah. screaming with his arms up in the air. Uh, and now they will get to play defending champion U.S. for uh, for that World Baseball Classic title. Yeah, these these other countries treated it like the World Cup for yep. baseball. And mm-hmm. the U.S., while the players may feel that way, I don't know if the, the average everyday baseball fan quite tr- treats it the same way. Um, but I tell you what, it is a lot of fun having meaningful baseball games in March. Yeah. It is uh, is a new experience for me. I don't think I really paid attention too much to the last WBC. It was in 2017. Um, obviously, they're supposed to do it every four years, but pandemic pushed the last one from 2021 to 2023. Um, but yeah, if you are happening to listen to this before Tuesday at 3.30 p.m. or before that game ends, I highly recommend... Uh, tune in to that one tonight because it's it's going to be a blast. And I mean, that game yesterday was just awesome. It was just an incredible game. So um, I just felt it was worth worth touching on um, since uh, our high school baseball news, or high school news at the moment is a, a little limited. Uh, last before I let you guys get out of here, I did have I do have a feature coming up on um, Douglas County native, but Reno High alum uh, Sullivan Colley or Sully Colley. He is now a ranked light heavyweight in the Bellator uh, MMA. I don't think Bellator would describe themselves this way, but basically the tier below the UFC. Um, There are a lot of former UFC guys that go to Bellator when they either have contract disputes or or something to that effect. And Kali's been bringing in former UFC guys and uh, his words beating them up in camp, and so he's got a he's got a he's five and zero with five first round knockouts so far in his Bellator career, and he's got a I guess arguably his toughest test in theory. Every next test is your toughest test. And a guy by the name of Luke Trainer from the United Kingdom. The one one thing to I guess kind of keep a lookout is Collie's six one and Trainer's six six. So Trainer's cool. got Trainer's got a reach advantage, but. So did the last guy, and the last guy lasted all of 61 seconds against Collie. So Collie is now making his debut on the main card. He is, like I said, number nine ranked in Bellator's light heavyweight. Uh, when I first started talking to to Sully, he was was almost begging Bellator for fights, like asking for more and more fights. And now he's five and zero with five first round knockouts, and is is starting to get that pub. And Bellator's realized he's kind of the hot, hot, pro- one of the hot prospects at the moment. And so March thirty first in uh, Temecula, California, will also be on Showtime um, for those of you not traveling down to Southern California. But he will take on uh, Luke Trainer on Showtime to to lead off the uh, Bellator two ninety three card, if I'm not mistaken. There, so. 
Um, cool feature story. Uh, is a fun interview too. Um, yeah. Definitely not like interviewing high school kids by any, no. <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and uh, you can see the confidence kind of brimming in him, especially even just over Zoom. So uh, cool story, something you can check out. That'll be online at nevadaappeal.com backslash news backslash sports. Uh, before we get out of here again, big thanks to today's title sponsor in Played Against Sports, which is located in the Topsy Lane Shopping Center. It is the best place to go for all your new and gently used sporting equipment needs. Check them out today or online at www.playedagainstsports.com. Jeff, anything you want to touch on before we get out of here? I, I, I have one little thing. Absolutely. I have to tease you a little bit. Uh, you haven't said anything about that bracket. It's because it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw a thing two days ago that said there were seven total brackets that were still good. Oh, um, no, there's no perfect brackets yeah, not left. now. There's no perfect brackets left. I, I still kind of hesitate talking betting on, on this podcast just because we do so much with high school sports, and I don't want it to feel like I'm pushing gambling on 18-year-olds who are still three years away from legally being able to gamble anyways. Uh, I did do all right there. The uh, really the the unders in the first round games were the way to go. We we added it up, and in the thirty two first round games, the under was tw- hit twenty four times. Wow! So and pushed once. So in theory, it's I mean, not in theory. In practice, it's because teams are in new arenas. It's a huge moment, and at some point, they're going to get tight and they're going to miss shots. And um, yeah, it, it worked out. So. Uh, the other thing that I will will throw out here, I don't know what the number is this year, but last year, if you were to put down $100 on every underdog, which is, first of all, insane to me. I would do like $10 at most. <laughs> uh, but if you did $100 on every single underdog, like blindly, right, 16 seed, 9 seed, 13 seed, throughout the whole tournament, didn't matter, but the underdog of every game, if you bet $100 on every underdog last year, March Madness, you would have made roughly fifteen hundred bucks, because underdogs win enough for you to make money. In, for instance, say you miss eight of them, but then Fairleigh Dickinson knocks off Purdue, and Fairleigh Dickinson's plus twenty one hundred. Yeah. That basically is saying you've now won. You know, it's rough math, but twenty one of those hundred dollar bets in theory, if you were doing even money, so. Because there's enough upsets, it, you're, you're not going to finish with a winning record, but monetarily speaking, yeah, there's something to keep an eye out for next next March if you happen to uh, still think about this a year from now. But uh, I believe there you'd still be up quite a bit of money if you had followed this blindly this year, too. Um, and again, that comes back to the conversation we had last week where you pull those top, re- like those number... You know those top eight college basketball players, and you put them elsewhere. And you kind of bring the top down a little bit, and then you've got all the transfers and the NIL, and you bring the bottom up, and you start seeing more and more upsets because yeah. the the margin between the best teams and the worst teams is just smaller and smaller. And um, as I kind of whined about last week, it doesn't necessarily make for better basketball, but that doesn't mean it's not entertaining. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, the bracket's bad, real yeah. bad. Real bad. <laughs> did the coin flip bracket do okay? Or no, just, no. <laughs> it did predict the 16 seed over the one correctly. I will, I will give it that. But it that is one right. That is all luck. Uh, it is, it is not good. Um, I've tend to fill a couple brackets, but yeah, the first, my first thoughts brackets. I, uh, my first thought bracket, I picked Arizona to win the whole thing. As soon as I did it, I didn't like it. 
and Arizona lost in the first round. So, yeah, that's that's the bracket. <laughs> Anyways, that is episode 69. That is Jeff Mulvihill Jr. of InstaImage.com. Thanks, as always, to him for producing the podcast. And uh, otherwise, be sure to check out our coverage online, and we will catch you guys next week. Take it easy. Take it easy.